Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Idaho set some records this week, a record number of daily COVID-19 cases and deaths, a record number of hospitalizations, and by the way, a record turnout of voters in Tuesday's election. Needless to say, it made for an interesting week. I'm Joan Cartan Hansen, sitting in for Melissa Daplin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week on the show, we'll visit with the Secretary of State's office about Idaho's election process. And then we'll talk with James Dawson of Boise State Public Radio and Logan Finney of Idaho Reports about how Idaho turned a little more red this week with Republicans winning their statewide Senate and congressional races and picking up a couple of seats in the Idaho legislature. The state also turned more red when it came to COVID-19 cases. We set the record for daily number of reported cases and broke the record for daily deaths. Hospitals around the state are overwhelmed and members of the State of Idaho Disaster Medical Advisory Committee asked the governor to implement a statewide mask mandate. So what happened when the elections and COVID collided? We'll start our conversation with the Chief Deputy Secretary of State, Chad Hout, about how Idaho's elections went. Thank you for joining us, sir. I appreciate you being here. How did election night go for you? Well, you know, that's a great question. Everybody was so nervous about election night. I think the only way we can categorize it would be to say that it went better than we anticipated. Uh, we were definitely, because of all the, the buildup to the election, all of the unanticipated, you had COVID, you have absentee ballots, you have all these different changes, all these firsts, these things that have never happened in Idaho in terms of just the context of the election, you didn't know what you didn't know going into it. And, and that was kind of the theme across the state. So to have it go as smoothly as it did statewide, uh, we're, we're just elated. Now the numbers, it's a, it's a moving target because not everything's done yet and figured out, but right. what kind of general percentage looking are we looking at for this election? So we're looking at, you know, there were, we can tell you there were 867,222 ballots cast when you add them all up from the independents to the write-ins to the others for the presidential race. Now, by the time you add in those overvotes, which is when someone marks two, uh, two candidates in a particular race or undervotes where someone skips a particular race, et cetera. And, and of course the infamous write-ins for Daffy Duck and Mickey Mouse and those ones that don't count. By the time you get through all of those, that number is going to be a little higher than that. So we're looking at about 870,000 ballots cast statewide, which is amazing when you consider that for the first time in Idaho, we were we were working with a, a group of over 1 million potential voters. And uh, of course, with election day registration and early voting and all of those numbers playing in, we're looking at that number settling somewhere around 1,020,000 voters. You take those two, uh, that looks like about an 85% turnout uh, another interesting piece of that, of those 870,000 ballots that were cast, about 170,000 of them were early votes. That left about 330,000 that were absentees. One of the first times that in history that we've had our earlies and absentees exceed election day voting, almost 500,000 to 370,000 roughly. 
So another, uh, when you really get into the stats, looking at it in the canvas when we finish this all up on the 18th is gonna be pretty interesting to look at from just a numbers standpoint. How did COVID impact voting statewide? Well, you know, obviously we had tremendous turnout and uh, I think we had some longer lines, but we also had some technology in play in this cycle in at least 20 counties um, utilizing electronic poll books that helped move those lines through more quickly. We had folks talking about, well, yeah, the line was out to the end of the parking lot, but I also got to the door in 20, 25 minutes. So there was a lot of that uh, kind of variabilities. Um, the lines, because people were actually more distance in the line even, the lines had less density to them, so they moved quickly that way as well. Um, but all in all, you know, like we said, tremendous early and absentee turnout by folks getting that voting taken care of advance uh, in advance of election day, and then a really solid turnout on election day to give us one of the biggest turnouts overall that we've ever had here in Idaho. So it was, so we may be looking at a record you know, we've, we've looked back, uh, we look back to 20, uh, anything from 2000 on. So it sounds weird to say it, but in this century, uh, and the highest we had seen was in the mid to upper seventies, around 76, 77% back in 20, or excuse me, 2008. Uh, so we are looking like we're at least seven, 8% past that uh, coming into this 2020 presidential election before we tally that up as official. Of course, all these results are still unofficial and slightly moving targets. We do know that the races are pretty, you know, there's a couple races that were close. I believe Ada County had a race that came down to only a handful of votes, less than less than a dozen. Uh, so there'll be a couple of recounts maybe going on through the state, but more or less, Idaho got it wrapped up on election night. Uh, we were rumored to be one of the only two states by the time the East Coast woke up that were recording 100%, uh, Hawaii being the other. How important was it that the legislature changed the rules to allow you to process those early votes, those absentee votes, not count them, but at least get them ready to be counted? How important was that? I think it definitely helped in the larger counties. Um, and the reason I say the larger counties is you've got 44 unique elections that are happening here in Idaho. And every county has a different process, uh, has a different environment. They store their ballots in a different location. In some, in some scenarios, those ballots are stored in a uh, hundred and something year old vault in a, in a historic building. So there were some counties that chose not to open those ballots early um, simply because they didn't want to add the camera or the electronic padlock security and the live stream and, and all the other elements that went along with it. Uh, they chose not to, uh, not to put that investment into it. And keep in mind that this was a, a statute that had a sunset clause. It was a one-time, almost like a test run to see if this is something that will work. So in those situations, those counties didn't utilize it, but at the same time, they were mostly the smaller counties that didn't have quite the volume. So for someone like Ada County or Canyon County or Kootenai County, our three largest, all of which did utilize that, uh, that statute and open early under surveillance, it worked out fabulous. They were able to get themselves ahead of the game. Uh, Kootenai County was facing a, a really challenging staff uh, challenge, partly because of COVID and uh, just those folks that were affected by timing of quarantines and some other things of that nature. So they were the last ones to come through on election night with their voting. And it would have been significantly worse had they not been able to prep those ballots in advance. Do you, will you ask for it again? Will you ask for the legislation to allow you to do it permanently? You know, we, uh, we in the Secretary of State's office, we try and stay with uh, 
we stay away from policy and we try and stay with administration, this one kind of sits in the balance between the two. Uh, it does help administratively. Is the security components of it the right policy? That's for the legislature to decide. Um, I think there's some different things that we want to look at when the legislature does come back. Another question that was that was prominent throughout the state this year, um, especially in the last week leading up to the elections, is what does electioneering at the polls look like? And that's another question that we're going to probably try and visit as we get up to the legislative session this year coming forward. So I think it's probably reasonable that we'll see these come, come back in front of the legislature again. Uh, important to note that those were driven by the Association of Counties, by the collective group of the 44 county clerks, but that's really where it needs to come from because they're the 44 election administrators that are running these elections. They're the ones that know what they need and what they want to move forward as we go, uh, as we go into 2022 and, and look at those next elections that are coming. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you joining us. Get some rest. My pleasure. Thank you so much. They're calling this Tuesday's record turnout in Idaho the Trump bump. The president's supporters and large numbers of same-day registrants pushed lines out the door. In some places, masks and social distancing were in short supply. So health officials may be looking for even more COVID cases post-election day. And that's on top of current record COVID numbers. Let's get to the nitty-gritty details of election results in Idaho and talk about the COVID spike with reporter James Dawson of Boise State Public Radio and Logan Finney of our own Idaho Report staff. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. I appreciate it. Uh, let's talk about the turnout. Um, it, massive, a massive turnout. James, what did you think? I thought it was incredible. I mean, if you look at Ada County just alone, you know, you had uh, what over 260,000 people cast a ballot. Uh, yeah, 262,000 people cast a ballot uh, compared to four years ago when it was about 202,000. I, I mean, it's just astonishing. You had a ton of people even register on election day two. Um, it, lots of absentee, lots of early voting. Um, you know, people were clearly enthusiastic about voting, um, you know, whether you were a Republican, Democrat or independent here. Logan, what are the numbers, the numbers statewide? I know Twin Falls was slammed, so. Yeah, we saw record-breaking turnout pretty much across the board. Um, and I have a piece out on the Idaho Reports blog today, kind of digging into the differences between Paulette Jordan's run for Senate this year and her run for governor in the last cycle. Um, and to kind of to condense that down, um, Jordan gained more individual votes in basically in, in nearly every county across the state, but received a smaller share of the total votes. So what that tells me is that there was a massive increase in turnout and um, across the board, it largely benefited Republican candidates. It, it, it always happens in a presidential year far more Republicans turn out than they do in the off-year election. Um, so you, you mentioned the Paulette Jordan race. Did either of you or either of you surprised by the fact that our congressional delegation were all reelected handily? I don't think so. I mean, you know, you haven't had a statewide Democrat elected since uh, Walt Minnick when we were talking about congressional races, right? Um, and before that, it was uh, the secretary of, uh, or the superintendent of public instruction, right, uh, back in the uh, mid-2000s. So um, that's to be expected. And especially like you mentioned with the Trump bump this year, uh, heavy turnout, I, I just don't see uh, that changing anytime soon. Logan? Um, I mean, I can 
echo what James said. <laughs> <laughs> Idaho is a, is a deeply red state and, and the results reflect that. You know, there were only about 10 state legislative races that were really um, interesting. Um, if you look at Kevin Richard at the Idaho Education News did a really good analysis on that. What do you think of the, the state legislative races? How has this Trump bump changed Idaho's legislature? All you have to do is look at District 15, right? Uh, two years ago, you had uh, State Senator Fred Martin, who's the incumbent Republican there, uh, just hang on to his seat by six votes. Uh, and then Democrats flipped both of those House seats. Uh, completely different story this year. You know, Fred Martin uh, won by what? I think 1,500 votes or something against a new opponent. Uh, you had freshman Democrat Jake Ellis lose his seat to Cody Galloway. Uh, Steve Birch, the incumbent uh, Democrat in the other House seat did hold on to his seat, but um, it, it wasn't a great night to be a Democrat uh, if you were running in Idaho. Uh, if you go up to District 5 in, you know, Lataw County, Benoit County, um, it was kind of the same thing. You had an open House seat there with retiring Representative Bill Gosling. Uh, the Democrats were really hoping to, to grab that seat with a um, Dulce Kirsting Lark, and they couldn't take it away from Brandon Mitchell, who came out swinging pretty hard. Um, they did hang on to the state Senate seat up there, though, with uh, Senator David Nelson in a rematch with uh, Dan Foreman, though. So, Logan, tell us more about that that race. That's a, that, that one race in Moscow in District 5. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I was watching District 5 pretty closely on election night and the following morning. Um, as early returns came in, the Republican candidates held very sizable leads. Um, but those were just the the results from people who had voted on election day. So we were waiting and waiting a very long time for those absentee votes to get counted after midnight. And um, as the absentee results rolled in, the margins closed pretty dramatically, and it was enough to push Nelson ahead, um, but not not enough to uh, to bring the two Senate or to bring the two House candidates up. Yeah. Um, you know, Nelson was running against a uh, pretty uniquely controversial opponent with Mr. Foreman, um, and the, the margin across the district was only by about 180 to 200 votes. So even with the, uh, even with the, the unique dynamics in that race, the, the Trump bump, as we say, uh, definitely benefited so we the had, Republican candidates. So we had the kind of COVID and the election collide this week. We've had record numbers of daily, we've been breaking the records every day for the number of cases for a number of days this week. We had a record number of deaths in a single day. We have hospitals are overwhelmed and we have the state, let's see if I get this, oh, we get this right, the State Disaster Medical Advisory Commission Committee asking for this mandate, a mask mandate. And yet, Associated Press did a poll of Idahoans and found that 54% surveyed thought the pandemic was somewhat or completely under control. James, you did a story on this. What's going on? Uh, I mean, kind of what we see out in the community. You know, if you go out, um, mask usage is, you know, depending on where you live, either, you know, middling or not there at all. Uh, you know, uh, the letter that you mentioned from the uh, committee that would ultimately approve or recommend uh, to Governor Brad Little to um, implement these crisis standards of care that we're talking about where doctors would have to triage patients, decides who gets a hospital bed and who doesn't, um, or to erect field hospitals somewhere. Um, the people who signed that letter were all external members. They were not state employees. They were all doctors. Um, 
uh, requesting the mask mandate. But this poll by the Associated Press was of about 650 people, the majority of them uh, likely or registered voters. The other 100 or so were not, uh, but still living in Idaho. And yeah, 54% of them said that the pandemic across America was either uh, somewhat, mostly, or completely under control. Um, which is just not the case when America tops 100,000 new cases uh, for the first time in a single day this week. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, Idaho is hitting record numbers of cases. We hit record numbers of hospitalizations, I believe, on Monday. That data is kind of lagging, so we just got that uh, on Thursday. Um, you know, it, it does not look under control whatsoever. How, how do we, why do we have such a mixed message? You know, we who cover this COVID case can see the numbers getting worse and worse and worse. And yet the public doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to be hearing that message. Why? Either they're hearing it or they're, you know, just completely fatigued, like I think all of us are. And I know that that's been a huge concern of Governor Brad Little, um, who's repeatedly said, look, I don't want uh, people to, uh, get tired of hearing this message that we've been talking about for months and months and months, but he thinks that that's, what, that's what's happening right now. Yeah. Logan, what, what do you look at when you see the numbers, the COVID number, case numbers? I mean, I'm on the team that puts together the, the nightly reports that air on, the, air on this station, and the, you know, I, I'm kind of missing the days when it was a surprise when we were getting 500 new cases a day, <laughs> and now we're over a thousand pretty regularly, which is which is concerning to me. What do you think the odds are that uh, the governor will listen to the doctors and implement a mandatory mask mandate? Well, throughout this, he's been very consistent. He's um, very reliant on personal responsibility from Idahoans to take the right steps to protect themselves and others. Um, although he does like his phrase, always never say never and never say always. So. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he has some idea of, in his head of a threshold where he would have to make that decision, but it's not something that he's shared with us. James, do you have any thoughts? I do. I, I, I mean, Logan's completely right. And I, I think that, you know, if you want to try to read the tea leaves as best as possible, you know, if you look back at the press conference where he sort of rolled us back into this stage three and a half uh, for, for the entire state, um, you know, that just signals to me his very complete reluctance to take any sort of drastic action, right? So he, he wants to kind of do things a little bit more gradually. I, I think that, you know, he might say differently, but certainly in the back of his mind has to be the legislature um, having repeatedly told him over the past several months, ever since April, really, that they were considering uh, reining in his executive authority on what he can do to respond to these types of emergencies. And, uh, you know, whether or not he is making that kind of calculation to, um, I don't know, keep as much uh, cachet with the legislature as we get closer to the legislative session. I don't know, but uh, it, it seems to me like it would be hard to, um, hard that that would not be a factor, you know, in some sort. But hasn't that train already left the station? The GOP Senate caucus sent out a letter this week, a press release saying that they were going to work on legislation to rein in or work on work on ways to rein in the governor's powers, Logan? Yeah, I mean, the governor responded pretty, um, 
pretty strongly at the very beginning of the pandemic with the uh, with the shutdowns back in stage one and with the stay at home order. Um, and he was decried pretty heavily for those actions. And so since then, he's um, my reading is that he's kind of tempered his response in hopes of, like James said, trying to keep some cachet with the legislature. But even with the moderate responses we've seen this last week, he still gets called an authoritarian. And we have things like the, uh, the video from the Idaho Freedom Foundation um, last week, it was uh, with lawmakers basically decrying any restrictions. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's to me, it's a continuation of what we saw during the special session. There was there was a there was movement from the House side of the legislature to end the emergency declaration. And while the Senate did kind of pump the brakes and say, hold on, we're not going to quite do that yet. They did lay out priorities for the 2021 session and the legislature wants to have a say in these things. You know, the our disaster laws are fairly old and are designed for a catastrophic event where the governor has to make unilateral decisions to to respond to it appropriately. And so now in our more modern era where everything is more connected and people can communicate faster, the the lawmakers want to have more say in the process is my reading of it. How do you think overall this election and this pandemic will change the legislature? Because they have our organization session starting in about a month. They'll do come together in the beginning of December to try and put things together. How has this whole collision of a pandemic and a Trump bump changed our legislature? Yeah, I, I would say that, uh, you know, <laughs> even Aside from those two factors, in the primary, you had uh, what is um, considered to be by by many special interest groups going to be one of the most, if not the most conservative House makeup uh, of all time in the Idaho legislature. Um, you know, you had either uh, very conservative candidates knock out more moderate candidates, uh, some people who made a comeback with, uh, you know, Kerry Hanks and Ron Nate going to going to come back for, for those seats. Uh, and all of that factoring into, um, you know, the response to the pandemic. Uh, you know, those candidates were were not happy about the the measures that uh, the governor took, like Logan mentioned. Uh, and that certainly is going to be probably topic number one. Uh, you know, we have legislative council meeting at you know right now as we tape this show, uh, and they're going to talk about the organizational meeting that you talked about uh, and how they're even going to host this uh, legislature 2020 in general, whether they're going to allow, you know, remote votes or are they going to make people come in? Are they going to wear masks? What kind of safety precautions are there going to be? We don't know um, necessarily. And so um, all of that's still up in the air, but it certainly um, is going to be heavily focused on these, the emergency response powers that the governor has and, uh, you know, uh, strengthening the voice of the legislature is, is priority number one. We, as much as we've talked about a uh, a Trump bump or a you know increased turnout benefiting Republicans, as James said with the primaries, some in a lot of races that increased turnout was kind of a moot point because you either have a Republican stronghold where no Democrats run in the general, or you have some like in Boise a Democratic stronghold where races don't have any Republican challengers. So in a lot of Idaho, if you win your primary, you get the seat, and so. It, it'll be interesting to see how how that shift in in the makeup of of the Republican caucus shifts the the overall uh, ideological makeup of the legislature. 
I wanted to get in a note about the Strong Families uh, program. By the time this airs, that program will have closed. But if you thought there wasn't a pandemic on there, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe, you could maybe look at the numbers of people who applied. This is a program designed to help families uh, get educational material because they have to homeschool. So it could be computers, it could be services, that sort of thing. Tell us, you had a great report on that, James. Tell us about those, the number of people who asked for help. It's astonishing. I mean, you have, uh, as of 2 p.m. Thursday, uh, which would have been November 5th, uh, you had 31,000, a little over, sorry, not 31,000, uh, uh, actually, yes, 30, 31,140 applications covering more than 88,000 students. Uh, and keep in mind, this the they started accepting applications for this program just a little over two weeks ago. They had to end the deadline uh, more than a month early. The state officials say that they can only really fulfill about 13,000 of these applications and they're prioritizing families who make uh, less than $50,000 a year. Uh, but it is first come first serve and so if um, there aren't enough of these low income families who applied, then it will uh, bump up to I believe $75,000 and then $100,000 per family. And there was only there was how much money initially in the pot, Logan? Fifty fifty thousand. Um, that sounds right. I yeah. don't have the exact. Fifty million. Fifty million. I'm 50 sorry. Million. Fifty million. Yeah. Yes. That's that's yeah, a, that's you. a lot of money, and it's only going to cover a, probably a third of the applicants. <laughs> that's that's harsh. That could, um, so and we knew that from the beginning. Yeah. Even in the math that they were doing, we have this many students in the state, and we have this much money to distribute and it's only going to cover this many of the students so we we knew this going into it but as james said they did cut the deadline short pretty dramatically because of how many applications they've received we started talking this show about how idaho as a whole did in the election you guys were on the ground on election night how, what was your view of how the state did in its fulfilling its civic duty in this election year james uh i would say you know, it, it kind of seemed like any other election night. I, I didn't actually go out to the polls. I personally voted absentee um, and dropped my uh, ballot off, you know, like a month early uh, at, at the at the county elections office. Uh, but, it, I'm, you know, it, it seems seamless there. If you look at Ada County's numbers, they hardly rejected any of the ballots, uh, mostly just because people didn't sign them. That was yeah. that was the biggest uh, problem and hurdle that they had to overcome. Otherwise, uh, it, it seemed like from what I saw, there were some long lines uh, at you know the final days of early voting um, and certainly during election night uh, or election day as the polls immediately opened but then it kind of slowed down uh, at least in Ada County um, we got results pretty quickly especially if you compare it to uh, you know Georgia <laughs> and uh, Pennsylvania but that was because the legislature during the special session passed that law that we could count absentee ballots a right. week early so um, that that certainly helped and I think the clerks were grateful for that. Logan, what grade would you give our election of people? Um, it it was run well. I mean, I like James, I voted early and turned in my ballot in person, um, but I still did go over to my local polling place on election day morning and talk to a couple of the poll workers there. Um, and they said, you know, between eight o'clock and nine o'clock in the morning when it was a big rush of people, things were still running pretty smoothly. They said that the, the process for regist registering new voters the day of was taking some time, but you know, that's understandable. Um, and this is the first election, even before election day, that we had over a million registered voters in the state, which is a pretty big threshold. And then they were still registering new voters on the day of the election. Yeah. So 
big turnout, so, but um, I'd say it was handled well. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. The State Board of Election will certify this year's election results on November 18th, and Idaho electors will vote in the Electoral College on December 14th. And not to scare you, but the next statewide primary election is only 557 days away. Thanks for watching. To keep up with all the latest Idaho news, be sure you're following Idaho Reports on Twitter and Facebook. Melissa should be back next time. Thanks for joining us. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.